Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average. Plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the MMQB Week in Review podcast. This is our Friday show, and guess what, everyone? This is the last Friday of the NFL offseason. This time next week, we will officially have the first game in the books. I guess I should say knock on wood, assuming everything goes as scheduled, but we are supposed to have opening night next Thursday. We are back. I am Mitch Goldich. I'm joined by the full crew, Albert Breer, Connor Orr, Jenny Varentis. How's everyone doing? Hello, Mitch. How's everyone doing? I got a great uh, hello, and uh, and we'll just assume Jenny's doing great. I'm great, yeah, all good here. <laughs> all right, well, we've got a uh, we've got a lot to talk about this week. For those of you who are new, this is our show where sometimes we go a little bit off topic, but one one thing we like to do is dive into all the stories that we've all written this week for the MMQB, and we've got a bunch. Albert wrote his usual columns this week. Connor brought back an annual MMQB tradition. I had a fun little story go up this morning. Jenny has Friday's daily cover, so we've got plenty of things to talk about, but we always start talking about uh, just sort of what we've been up to this week. This became sort of a, a pandemic tradition back when we were all trying to pass time back at the beginning of quarantine, and we've kept it up because it's just nice to know what everyone's up to. So I don't know if any of you uh, want to volunteer and go first, something that you've been doing this week. And well, we're still theoretically in quarantine, right? Yes, so. things are opening up a little bit more, we should say. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that is true. Most of, none of us are out uh, 
partying at the Ozarks or uh, some of the other <laughs> poor behaviors that we've seen. You're right. I think all of us are still being careful. And, and that is that is typically evident when we talk about what we've been doing this week. So that's uh, that that is true and, and fair to bring up. Thanks. I can start. Um, I have been uh, painting, uh, painting bedrooms. I think that was like, uh, you know, we've reached the end of the part of the pandemic where you've run out of logical projects to do. And now it's the illogical. It's painting something that's been painted three years ago just to paint it a different color. So that's kind of where we're at right now. What color, did you look at swatches? What, uh, what colors are we working with here? Navajo white has been a big, um, has been a big power player, I would say, throughout this process. All right. Definitely. Navo. Navo. So this is this will have to go on the Instagram at some point later today. Sure. Yeah, no, it's it's more of a cream, you know, um, a dark cream, uh, but it pops with a, with a true white um, if you're going to try to kind of play those off of one another. So that's that's really the goal here. All right. I love it. Albert or Jenny, either of you want to go next? Yeah, sure. I had uh I, like I think we all remember when, when we were kids, like going shopping for school supplies and stuff. And uh, so, you know, for the first time, I uh, you know because we have a kid, like our oldest is going in kindergarten. Um, I actually had a list of things that we had to get. Uh, we had to get Stephen, and um, it was interesting how different that is, you know. And just as we were talking about the stuff we got to get him, and you're ordering it online instead of, I don't know. I I'm sure you guys have the same memories I do of like. You know, you go to the CVS or whatever to pick up notebooks and pens and those sorts of stuff, those sorts of things. Like, I mean, add the pandemic to the fact that you can do everything online now. And so, you know, the idea of school shopping now for kids is going on a website and pushing a bunch of buttons. So we did that. And right at the same time, their soccer stuff came for the fall, which was, um, I guess, like sort of a nice sign of normalcy. Um, you know, Steve's going to be six in October. Drew's four. And um, so their new cleats and their new soccer gear came. And so be good to get them back in sports. Yeah. What uh, I mean, what's the youth sports scene looking like in Massachusetts with everything going on? It's it's weird, man. Like uh, like the high school sports. So there's no football in the fall. Um, and it, there was this like different, I don't know, this committee or whatever it is, like some board that may like released guidelines that, that have made it very difficult to play certain sports and so i know soccer is i think soccer is getting gonna get played but it's under different rules i think volleyball they're moving it outside um and then football is off altogether and um but then the youth sports are a go <laughs> so it's sort of like i think everything else in our country where it's like well wait a second you got this over here and that over there and these don't really match up so um i do know there are going to be different rules as far as like um you know what the kids can do and everything else in soccer but you know i don't i'm a little skeptical as to how those are going to hold up when you're you know those rules are being applied to six-year-olds yeah albert that's a little bit of a cover story talking about your kids because we all follow you on twitter and we know you spent the week breathlessly following big 10 football rumors that's and it. reporting that's and that's, yeah. that's the real thing that's been keeping you busy all week yeah I, well 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 hey hey it looks like they're working on it so we'll see what happens we might, we might get some news later today uh jenny how about you oh i've been trying to get back into running a little bit i guess that was this week's focus 
my gym that I go to, uh, it's sort of like a boutique fitness place uh, with 12 person classes. So they're just shutting down now because uh, opening with 25% capacity wouldn't be viable. So I'm trying to figure out some other things. I used to run a ton, like I ran a half marathon like seven or eight years ago, but it's really hard to get back into it. Really struggled this morning on some of the hills in Central Park. So need to get my uh, running stamina back, I think. I didn't. Was this logged in Strava? I was unaware of this. Uh, I, I that you've like gotten back into this. My, <laughs> I don't like to log my Strava runs because on slow days, I know there will be commentary. So I just keep them private. Mm, so you're a lurker. Just uh, you have the ability to follow <laughs> me and Connor, as as was discussed earlier. Fair, this summer. fair. I forgot. You know, I forgot this. Like, I, like my Strava is private, and I didn't. I couldn't remember. Like, did I make it private? And somebody actually told me. So one of my friends told me this. And you guys might want to look out for it. Like one of my, this buddy of mine who lives in the city in Boston, and this was a couple of years ago, but he'd seen I'd signed up and he was like, oh, you're leaving your account open. And I'm like, yeah, like, why is that a big deal? He's like, well, that's like a way people steal bikes. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, like people find out where other people live and use Strava to steal bikes. Wow. Have you guys heard of that? No, I never Googled it or anything. I just took his word for it and hit the private button. So that's why I'm private on Strava. But like he told me like it was just this whole big thing. So I, I don't know why I didn't remember that the first time you guys brought up Strava, but there it is for you. Yeah, watch, I'm set watch, to watch out private. for your bike. I'm private partly because I run like from my parking lot and then it would be like super that's obvious like where people, I, know, yeah, people, people would know where, where I live. live. People would know where Jenny lives if my Strava was made public it's because true. everyone knows that we're neighbors. So this, that's true. just, it, it was an obvious call for me to go private. I'm beginning to sour on Strava because like anything else, it is a social media app. And I was running the other day and I, I was like moderately happy with my time. And then I was like, I should really go up this big hill because it's better for me. It's better for my health. But then I was like, but then it will destroy my time that everyone will be able to see on Strava. And the moment that that hit me, I was like, see, this is bad. This is just like fitness Instagram now. And so you need to, you can't have that be the mindset. So I'm beginning to cool a little bit on, on Strava. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing. It's nice when having other people encourages you to do more and go a little bit faster. But and I'll admit that thought has crossed my mind, too, where it's like, oh, my time's pretty good. Do I want to go another mile or two? And one thing, my, my wife will sometimes like do her run and then shut off Strava and then like finish her run or do like a second portion. Um, not that she's concerned about like times, things like that, but like sometimes that or she'll like break it up into segments. And that's something I've done too, where I'll finish and shut it off. And then like, do, I, well, I was going to say do the hill. I don't really like do Harlem Hill. I try and avoid that and cut across before then. But like, um, you know, you can, you can shut it off and then do the hill, Connor. And then we can still give you your deserved kudos on the earlier parts of your run. I just, I, it's just one thing or another. I'm just, you live for the kudos, you know? And that's, yeah, and that's a shame because you are great at giving out kudos. That I'll finish my run and five minutes later, I'll have a notification <laughs> from Connor, which is nice. I, I am a big believer in kudos. So yeah, my best runs are the ones when I get a kudos from you and Bet Marston, our old editor. Those are, that's when I know I had a good one that day. Bet of Runner's World is, uh, I find the kudos are not as frequent, but 
probably more meaningful. So uh, I agree. You know, oh, as, she's, as, she's, a, she's, as a top editor at Runner's World, it, it, it would it would mean more to get that kudos. But I like that she's selective about it because then that means that not every run is special. You know, I respect that. You got to be judicious about your hat tips. No doubt. Um, so I'll go last. One thing I had a friend who wrote a book this uh, that just came out. And it's funny, like we all work uh, with a million writers, so we all have a million friends and colleagues who've written books and mostly about sports. But this friend is actually, uh, we grew up together, we went to summer camp together as kids, and he became a rabbi and is the rabbi who officiated my wedding. And uh, he came out with a book, Why Jews Do That, or 30 Questions Your Rabbi Never Answered. And I haven't read it yet. It's sitting on my couch in my sort of my on deck circle for the next book that I'm going to read. I just finished one. So I'm going to dive in whenever I have free time, but I haven't had any free time to get any reading done. But it was very nice this week. We had a uh, a Zoom celebration. We rounded up a bunch of guys from my bunk at summer camp as kids, and we got together to celebrate and uh, toast him for his book. So uh, a a plug for Avram Molotek's book if you want to check it out. I'm excited to read it. And uh, it was fun just to, we've talked about this all summer, uh, how people are getting together virtually. And even if it's a group of friends, you might not necessarily get together with in person, um, but it's nice to check in and see how everyone's doing on Zoom. And it'll be interesting if that keeps up, even when we are allowed to travel and go out and see people in real life and everything. So that was a a fun group to have a nice little virtual celebration with this week. Mazel. Will you be reading this before or after the Vladimir Putin judo book? I've already re- well, I already read the Vladimir Putin judo book mm. uh, back before the 2012 <laughs> Olympics when I covered judo. But uh, I will probably read it before. I could always get the judo refresher before the Tokyo Olympics come back in 2021. Mm. Um, but uh, I'm more likely to read this. Putin's on the bookshelf. Uh, Avram's on the on the couch in the on deck circle. Ah, nice. All right, should we talk about some football and our stories this week? I think we Let's should. Let's do it. Any volunteers? Connor, you get to go first because you are so enthusiastic. You wrote, like I said, our annual tradition, predicting all 256 games. You sat down with an empty spreadsheet and gave us all 32 teams' records. Do you want to first talk about your methodology, and then we can talk about uh, some of the specific predictions that you like or that other people didn't like? Sure. Um, so this is uh, uh, my wife... Uh, sets up the spreadsheet for me she is like amazing at excel i don't understand how any of this stuff works and so um sets it up so the third column uh is the winner the first column is home second column is away and the third column is winner uh that stuff i all have to manually put in and then um all that stuff gets sent to a, a separate page where the winners populate and i do it first and i try not to look at anything and then you do it again to sort of adjust um to to make it slightly more realistic like i think the first time i did it like the titans were like 14 and 2 and i was like well that can't happen and uh um you know anytime you look at the chiefs in an excel spreadsheet with like no other distractions around you of course you're going to pick them to win so i tried to kind of bring them back down to earth a little bit but also um make sure that a few of the major talking points from the weak side podcast including the surging chargers and the sinking 49ers were also reflected in that so that was uh something that i had to kind of counterweight as well yeah the 49ers fans they were they were uh among the louder ones who i saw them and the bills who you've been on the bills bandwagon for a year and a half how as long as brandon bean's been there uh what happened to your bills in this exercise 
I'm just going to say that I got as many compliments behind the scenes for picking them to finish seven and nine as I did annoying and nasty uh, direct messages. Although I've become friends with uh, a student at St. John Fisher College, so that was very exciting. Uh, if the Bills finish better than nine and seven, I'm going to meet him up there um, before training camp next season and buy him a plate of chicken wings. So, um, <laughs> so we have a fun little bet going on there. Uh, most of them, though, a lot of DMs of clown emojis. Um, someone said, uh, "How easy must it be to get your job?" Um, you know, a, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I wish I had your job because then I could get paid for being an idiot. Um, that was um, that was a more memorable one, and uh, you know, just a lot of fus and and stuff like that. So um, you know, but so just a regular Thursday or Wednesday, <laughs> you know, pretty much the usual. So so how much tinkering did you do? Because I know you and the first version you sent me, you just copied and pasted all the teams and their win totals. And I said, Connor, there's only 31 teams here. And it was because you had the Bengals, I think, going 0 and 16. So they were not in the list. And then you went back and gave them a couple wins. How much tinkering did you do to make sure that the final records looked like what you wanted? Just just enough. And and even still, like, I think I have three di- two different divisions, like the AFC North has three teams with a winning record and the NFC South has three teams with a winning record, which I can't imagine happens all that much. And um, it was pointed out to me that that looked rather ridiculous, especially the NFC South having two 10-win teams and then a 14-win team, um, which is a lot. Um, But um, I'm pro-Falcons as well, so I had to find a way to sort of reflect that in there so i tried to not tinker as much as possible but just to make it look somewhat realistic and i mean the, the truth of the matter is jonathan jones who is our former co-worker who came up with this idea who did this long before i did seems to have some sort of secret sauce and makes it look so much better and he's typically right whereas you know for example last year i had the ravens going four and twelve so did you like how do you project upsets like do you like that was one thing i've wondered with this exercise is like projecting like off the wall weird upsets yeah um just sort of slamming them in there like you know like you would say like okay like there's got to be at least like 10 weird things that happen in a season so the chargers sweeping the chiefs would be a weird thing and so let's do it you know um and I don't know, the Giants beating a very good opponent down the stretch who are in playoff contention. You know, like I try to bang in a few of those, um, usually like one or two every other week. Um, and then you kind of hope that it all works out. But sometimes it's just ridiculous. Um, but um, I will point out that Mitch was right. When I turned it in initially, I thought I messed it up because uh, the Bengals just were not logged on the spreadsheet but that's because the spreadsheet only logged teams that had won a game and so um, I had to go back and I had to give the Bengals two wins and those are theoretically upsets despite um, certain blogs that I've read that have informed me that the Bengals are going eight and eight and I'm an idiot so um, eight and eight wow yeah um, yeah there are um, uh, definitely uh, some some blogs that came to my attention that are uh, uniquely high on the Bengals um, so good, good 
for uh, good for you guys. See, having having been in, in New England for this whole run, like uh, like I know there would be like when they were really rolling, like if you said they were going to win ten games, people would take that as an insult. And I I think you had them at ten this year, right? So like mm-hmm. that's not an insult anymore because Brady's gone. Did you like? Did that reaction come from Chiefs fans at all? Yeah, like because like, yeah. that's like 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 I think they're kind of in that spot now where it's like. Like anything, like anything under like twelve wins is seen as like a slap in the face. Albert, this is a good opportunity to discuss um, something that I've been very interested in, and that's sort of this like um, ability for when things are going well for fans, they often show their true colors. And I feel like Chiefs fans were actually pretty measured in that. There was some like you're a clown for you know uh, not putting them at ten, you know, putting them at ten wins or whatever. But um, I would say that they've been far better overall than uh, Panthers fans during the 15-1 and season. By far one of the worst uh, out-of-nowhere groups of fans. Buccaneers fans this preseason, which I don't know where you were for the last 20 years, but welcome. Yeah, pipe uh, down, bet. Yeah. Seahawks fans, um, which I've now come to realize are not the worst. Um, they are... Uh, they're hilarious. They're very funny, and they so, have a bad uh, reputation on Twitter, though, don't they? Of being like no, a I think they have crazy. a good. I, or is it I, good? I think it's good. Yeah, okay. I think it's good. At first, I, tr- I treated it as I felt it as threatening, but now I realize is is not is is totally fine. Um, but I, I I would actually compliment Chiefs fans on being somewhat understanding of the fact that like um, in the history of the NFL, just because your team wins the Super Bowl does not mean they win the next 30 Super Bowls. Uh, so, you know, things contract and expand. Typically they don't win the next 30. I agree. That is, yeah, that, that doesn't happen a lot. Correct. But yeah, and you're totally right. I mean, if you polled every fan base and said, how many, t- how many games will your team win this year? And then you added those up, it would be so much higher than 256 because well, everyone's I feel like, optimistic. But, uh, Mitch, if you I pulled like every I, fan I, base or like the cast of Good Morning Football, you know, no. uh, or, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, they would all I mean, say that every team is going 16 and 0. Yeah, so. you have to pick teams that are going to be disappointing, and nobody's going to want to hear that in September. I think I saw someone do that somewhere. I, I want to say maybe it was like a few years ago. Somebody did that where they actually went and looked at a bunch of like experts' predictions of the season, and they added them up. And like set like like and, and, and it like was like crazy yeah yeah and it was crazy it was like 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 fifty sixty more wins than were possible league wide yeah so Connor kudos to you because someone has to uh, come here with the the cold hard truth and and the facts and that your team's gonna lose more than you think they are this year probably and so uh, thanks for thanks for uh, taking that one for us for the team we appreciate it any t- any time my pleasure. <laughs> Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? 
Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 and mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. All right, Jenny, let's move on to your story. You had, like I mentioned, Friday's Daily Cover, and you wrote about the NFL owners and basically what's coming and are they ready for it? Do you want to tell us a little bit about your story today? Yeah, just kind of asking the question of if there is a tipping point in the season, uh, if, you know, this is an unusual football season for a lot of reasons, right? There's obviously the pandemic and there's this racial reckoning in our country. And we saw with the NBA last week, everything came to a standstill. and to get it back on track, to get the season back on track, to get the players feeling comfortable continuing to play under the circumstances in our country following the shooting of Jacob Blake, it really required all of the capital of the relationship between the players with the league and the owners to get things back on track. So I think there's a lot of questions moving forward. 
the NFL has taken a lot of steps this summer. Recently this week, they rolled out some new actions in advance of the season, perhaps in an effort to be a little bit more proactive than they have in the past. They announced that facilities will be closed on election day, um, that stadiums could be turned into polling places. The league and the union would partner on college funds for the children of victims of police shootings. Um, So there were some interesting steps taken, and I think a lot of the actions are on par with what we saw the NBA roll out. But there is a credibility gap as far as the NFL goes. There are owners who are major donors against causes that the players are speaking for. One of the main focuses for a few teams, we saw the Ravens and the Texans push for support for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, asking Mitch McConnell to bring that to the Senate floor for a vote. There are owners who have contributed directly to McConnell and the Republican Party of Kentucky. Um, You know, I think political donations across the board have been, um, or not across the board, not every owner, but um, multiple owners have donated to directly to candidates who are anti the causes that the players are championing, anti-racial equality in many cases, uh, not uh, amenable to systematic changes to address police brutality. Um, So there's that. There's obviously the Kaepernick problem of this continued blackballing, the fact that he continues not to have a job. And we have seen Commissioner Roger Goodell back the players, back protests, uh, say that players or say the league should have listened sooner. And I think those are all positive steps. But ultimately, on some level, this requires the individual clubs to choose how they are going to act. And I think there are there is an earned skepticism there for how the owners would handle a situation this season if the players were to consider something like the NFL or the NBA did last week with the Wildcat strike. Can you guess how you think that would go over if, if and possibly when they get to that point during the season? Well, I think the key is for the league and the owners to continue taking these proactive steps and to continue demonstrating support before you get to the point of players considering a strike. The reality, though, is that the way things are in our country, it is hard to imagine that there will not be another instance of police brutality. And that is a sad thing to say, but that is a sad reality. There, the likelihood is that there will be another video, another case, uh, another instance that really, for black men in America, makes it difficult to do your job that day. And how will the NFL respond if the players want to take action beyond what has been taken to this point in time, which is what the NBA did. You know, we talked a little bit last week, and I think some of our conversation on the pod last week contributed to some of the things that I was thinking about in the story. But we saw the owners fumble the handling of Kaepernick. They're still struggling with how to talk about demonstrations during the national anthem. We have Jerry Jones advocating for a compromise. 
Even John Mara, he said he would support his players' rights to kneel, but that he would prefer that they would stand. And I think if you're trying to process how that would feel, imagine if you as an employee and your owner said, I would prefer that you act this way. Um, I support your right to do otherwise, but this is my preference. Um, So I think there's a lot of mixed messages or muddying of the message. And um, I think the players need to feel supported. You know, two years ago when the league passed an anthem policy, that required players to either stand or stay in the locker room or risk their team being fined. That was just two years ago, right? And there was a standstill agreement that was agreed upon in the summer of 2018. So that policy is still on the books. Now the standstill agreement prevents it from being implemented, but that policy is still in the game operations manual, right? So uh, it's there and obviously it hasn't been enforced because of the standstill agreement, but we're not talking very long ago when there, players were going into a season feeling entirely unsupported for even the act of kneeling during the national anthem. And now we're going into a season where there have been larger scale demonstrations in the NBA and other sports leagues. And so if players want to go that path, um, you know, it, the, the owners are going to have some, they're going to be put under the spotlight a little bit more than I think they would like. Yeah. I, I think like, I don't know. Like, I, I think the one thing that's interesting about it too, Jenny, is just, you know, and I read in your story, like, I, I think it was Dominique Foxworth said that the owners are pragmatic about their money. Um, it's interesting how regional this is. Uh, you know, I, I think for someone like Jeffrey Lurie, who is in a city that I think is fairly liberal, um, he can say these things, say the things that he said, and it'll be digested one way. And if he were in, say, Texas or Louisiana or Tennessee or one of those places, it might be digested a little different. And I remember sitting with a um, sitting with a front office guy just a couple summers ago, and we were talking about all of this. And um, you know, he said to me, he's like, "Listen, you know," and this is a, a team in the South. And he was like, "Listen, like, you know, I like, I, I you know, I feel like, I, like, I want to support our players with all of this." So the problem is, like, we've already had sponsors tell us that if our players do this, they're going to bail. And that's a problem for us, you know? And so, like, we've sort of had to navigate this where we are, we're going to quietly support our players, but from a business standpoint, we have to consider everything that's at, everything that's at stake here. And so, like, I, I think that that's one thing that's really just interesting about the whole thing is that, like I think any sort of blanket way of handling it is I think it's I think it's like a little difficult to expect every owner to handle it the same way and not just because of who they are but also because of where they are you know and um, you know so I I think it's like the same thing as like you know in San Francisco um, Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed and um, you know and and I think Tory Smith at one point too that year like kneeling like like i think it was digested one way in the stadium there whereas you know when it happened in dallas um you know that was a little different you know and so it's just i think so much of this stuff is regional is regional and 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 each of the owners is dealing with something a little different and i think that part of it is is fascinating because i think it's you know it'll be interesting to see when we get an owner in the deep south somewhere come out strongly on something like this, you know, Um, because I don't know that we've necessarily, maybe David Tepper, David Tepper said some, like, like, come out really strongly saying, 
the players can kneel. I support them if they kneel and just let that be what it is. Well, I would say I talked to one of the professors I talked to was David J. Leonard from Washington State. He's written extensively about race and sports. Uh, and I think what you said about the business interest, that's obviously a big factor. And I think for owners, the framing often has to be what is the business interest, which is disappointing, uh, but also a reality. But Leonard made the point of when you start saying that this is what the fans want or this is what your market wants, that's two things. One, that's you're making a statement about what you believe your fan base to be. A, that might not necessarily be true, um, but you're basically saying this is who we want our fan base to be in a way. And two, it also takes the onus off of the owners because then they're saying, well, I'm only doing this because I'm listening to my fans and this is what they want, rather than saying I'm making a determination as a community leader of what is the right thing for our organization to do. So I think, you know... I don't think the owners should be taken off of them. I think, and that's what really players are asking for is for them to not just be reactive, for them to not just follow the money or follow public pressure, to be a little bit more proactive. And one step that we haven't really seen a lot of follow through on is this use of your political influence and power and capital to make or to push for legislative changes and policy changes. There have been some owners that have followed through with the promise on local outreach to DAs and police chiefs, uh, government officials, etc. There's a difference between making that outreach. And I noticed the joint statement between the league and the union said to talk about improved community police relations. And that seems to be the general framing. But what about using that influence to push for these laws to be passed or brought to a vote and that's what we saw the Ravens and Texans do they took a step forward in that regard with a team statement asking specifically for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act to be passed to be brought to the Senate uh, floor for a vote I thought that was an important step forward and I think that's what we're asking for a little bit is where are you giving your money how are you using your influence in the community and to to take a stance right to not just go with the way the wind blows because we, we say, oh, these owners are powerful people and they build teams and we call them Mr. But then when it's asked to take a stance on a, a issue that isn't a political issue, it's about human rights, we say, well, they have to go with what their fans say. I think that's a little bit of a cop out. Yeah. And I, I think like the, the other thing that I think like you could see um, to me, like what was so brilliant about what the players did with the commissioner in the spring was they, they forced him to pick a side. They said, here's the statement we want you to read, and it's your choice now. If you read it, you're with us. If you don't, you're not. And that's that. And they sort of put him in a corner where it was, this is what we want you to read. And it'll be interesting to see if players on individual teams now would do the same things with their owners, if you know what I'm saying, where it's like, we're not going to let you straddle the fence anymore. We're going to like, like we're going to draw something up for you. And I think that this did happen to some degree in Baltimore, at least like, like, and and that's nothing. That's not to say Steve Bishotti wouldn't have signed off on it. I think he's been one of the more progressive guys, but the players really did drive that. Indianapolis is another one where they work with their player development people to kind of craft some of the stuff that they, um, they did. They did last week, where they had a four-point plan okay. coming out of it. Okay. Like, I wonder if maybe on the on the team level now you see a little bit more of. Okay. Let's put something together as players, the same way that group of players did in the spring, and let's bring it to the owner, and we'll say this is what we're looking for. 
And so I think yeah. you're starting to see a little bit more of that where it's not just, well, no just back us. It's more like, problems. here's what we want you to do. And if you don't want to do it, like that's your choice, but you're, you're telling us where you stand then. Yeah. And I think that is how change happens. It's people being willing to agitate. It's people being willing to go to people of power in power and say, it shouldn't be this way. I don't want it to be this way. And this is what you need to do to fix it. Um, but I do want to acknowledge the fact that that's exhausting for players. Like it's exhausting to, in addition to your work day, have to work on a statement and, you know, garner support around the locker room and go to the people that employ you asking them for things like I think that's that's important and they've taken that on mm-hmm. and I, I just want to acknowledge the amount of extra effort that yeah. takes on in addition to a full work day with practice and all of the responsibilities <clears throat> that they have in their lives like the players are leading the way and the least the owners can do is just kind of right. meet what they're asking of them no doubt and I think that adds weight to what they're doing too is the amount of work that goes into it now you're making my blood boil over the uh, <laughs> comment that Jared Kushner made the day after the NBA players had the wildcat strike when he said something along the lines of, well, you know, what specifically, why don't they come up with specific plan? And it's like that shouldn't be their job. Many of them have done a great job What's leading that? the way on that, like you've said. But we yeah, these people uh, also have right. lives and careers and Let's a lot to worry about. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's been great to see uh, the way a lot of mm-hmm. these players have uh, stood up. It's going to be interesting, partly because it is an election year, and I know that um, you know a lot of these are social justice topics, but they are going to be right, in the news the the because people, owners, come, coaches, oh, okay. uh, a lot of public figures are going to be asked to pick a side, and they're going to be talking politics and talking about the election, and you know who is uh, likely to be talking about NFL players throughout the season. So yeah, mm-hmm. they've sort of uh, the NFL's been on the back burner all off season, and not that it's ever on the back burner, but other sports have had games come back, and now they're going to be under the microscope a lot more once the games actually start this week. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this fall. Whew, on that note, Albert, <laughs> uh, should we... Let, I'm not going to top that. Uh, <laughs> should we speak a little optimistically about the season? Yeah, it it sure. seems like people are pumped uh, that there's football and they're confident that we're going to get to the to the finish line and, and the Super Bowl on February 7th. Is that, yeah. is that right? And I honestly, like, I... I um, I try to be open-minded about this, like, and it's. I, I think over. I think you know, when things in in July, when things sort of went haywire a little bit, we had the the situation with the Marlins. I think that was early August. Um, you know, I think that there was just uh, this feeling that there's like no way the NFL was going to make it, and they're not in a bubble, and um, you know, so I just like this week, I sort of wanted to revisit that, like, and I wanted to revisit the idea that playing football is not possible in these conditions. Um, and so like, I just sort of asked around with coaches and general managers and some assistant coaches that weren't quoted in the story and everything else. Um, and like the, the, the main thing that I, that I got back from them was that they are all far more optimistic um, than they were uh, about a month and a half ago when they all reported for camp. And so, you know, I, I think, there's this idea and there was this idea that football was a super spreader of the virus. And I mean, for very logical reasons, because there's physical contact and cause you're breathing on each other and everything else. And the numbers just haven't bear, haven't, haven't, haven't borne that out. And I, I, I think like maybe the most impactful number, Mitch, you can speak to this, like, because you know, <laughs> you edited the story, but I, I think 
the most impactful number to me was kind of the dividing line between football practice and not and, and between practicing football and not practicing football. And if you want to go through, you know, the, the months leading up to training camp and then the ramp up period, uh, the NFL had 171 players test positive. And that's just the known number, right? Like, so there may have been guys who had it in the off season who were asymptomatic, who weren't tested, who we don't know about, but the, the number we have is 171. Um, and that was leading up to August 11th and the 18 days after that, which would have been the first 18 days of real football practice for, um, you know, for, for, for 30 of the 32 teams, the Texans and the chiefs started a few days before that. Um, there were only four positive tests. And to me, that's just, that to me tells you tell that, that tells me you can play football. Um, and that you have to be careful and they've taken a zillion precautions here and the, I think the protocols are really good but that tells me A, that you can play football and B, that um, and B, that that, you know, like the, the, the protocols they put in place, all the work the union and the league did for those six weeks leading up to training camp has been effective and so that was sort of my takeaway. It doesn't mean there's not going to be bumps. Um, you know, I think we're all, um, I think we're all kind of you know, tied to what happens in the rest of the country. So football's not immune from that. If things get worse in America over the next few months, you know, it's going to be tougher for football. No question about it. Um, I, you know, obviously, like the the work days shorten now because the guys are out of training camp. People's kids are going to go back to school. People's wives are going to go back to work. There's there's all of these different things that that are going to be introduced into the ecosystem. Um, and like all of that's a factor, no question. And, you know, travel, I don't think travel is as big a deal as some people make it out to be just because these guys aren't like schlepping through on commercial flights and all of that. Like, I, I think, you know, Jenny, we've Jenny Connor, we've seen the way these guys, these teams travel. They're not like they're not traveling the same way the public, the, the general public is. Um, but there are going to be some added things with travel. I, I just say that right now, um, you know, I'm with the guys that I talked to this week that I I feel way more confident that we're going to get a season played and we're going to get playoffs and a Super Bowl um, than I was six weeks ago. Um, and I think exponentially, like exponentially more confident than I was six weeks ago. Jenny Seems said like, mazel on the podcast. Albert said schlepping. This is this is wonderful. <laughs> I, why, why didn't we start doing this months ago? I love this. Sorry, Jenny, go ahead. No, I, I mean, I was just going to say, you know, I think the coming weeks will be interesting. A lot of teams were in hotels or some teams were in hotels mm -hmm. right during camp. Uh, as the season starts, maybe back at home, kids might be going back to school. Uh, everyone has their different family situation that they have to figure out. Um, I do think, you know, Everyone has been pretty transparent about the testing numbers, about the protocols. You know, the league has had regular calls with Alan Sills. feel like he's been willing to, you know, talk and share whatever information has been needed. So they have taken the necessary steps to get to this point, which, you know, I, at this point, it does feel like we're ready for the season and that it's going to happen, which was not something you could have said six weeks ago. But I do think there's still a lot of questions in the weeks ahead we'll see how things play out when it's a more of a regular season routine rather than the bubble of camp i would say this i i, I do think one thing that one thing that i think like at least my radar was up for was circum i'll try to like paint a picture of what i sort of saw that could happen is that somebody gets into the bubble the quote-unquote bubble because it's not a real bubble but gets into the quote-unquote bubble carrying the virus 
and doesn't know they have the virus and tests negative for the virus and goes into the bubble and now all of a sudden because they're practicing football seven other people have it we haven't seen that (laughs) you know what i mean like and that to me is a great sign that to me is a really really good sign because again like i i just i think like football was seen as like this thing that was sort of impossible to do or at least some people thought it'd be impossible to do it in the conditions that the pandemics created for all of us and i would tell you that like six weeks ago i would have very much seen a scenario like the one i just sort of painted there playing out and it just hasn't it just hasn't happened you know and so i think that's at least a good sign that there is that, that football isn't the super spreader that everybody thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, six weeks ago is when I wrote my story, uh, ripping up the NFL schedule and chopping it in half and having uh, games every two weeks and teams flying on game day. And, and that was like at the height of the Marlins situation and all the MLB teams just being postponed for a week at a time. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm stunned that we've gone from there to where we are now in just six weeks. Um, because it well, does feel so much more likely. But again, it's like, and, and I think, Albert, a few of the coaches and GMs you talked to in your piece made this point, got to keep your foot on the gas yeah. and stay vigilant and stay safe because one out, you know, an outbreak tomorrow could derail things. And even though it does feel much more likely that we're going to get to the Super Bowl on its scheduled date, we might miss a game or two or a week along the way. And that's definitely possible if there's an outbreak or something happens or like you said if numbers worsen uh in a region mm-hmm. of the country or the country as a whole so you know they're not out of the woods yet but I, i'll i'll be the first to admit it and you know it's very possible we get to february and my article from july or august looks very stupid um but you know it, it's stunning uh and part of that i mean baseball it, it's gone much better they've still had issues the oakland a's Uh, or the most recent team, they had a nice stretch where no games were canceled, and then Oakland had to uh, cancel or postpone a few games because of some positive tests, and they sat out a week, and they're going to be back in. And I think uh, coming up soon, maybe even as early as this weekend, MLB is going to be back to having all 30 teams ready to play at once, which they've had uh, less often than not throughout the the course of the whole season, but they're going to be back at that point. And, you know, because they're not playing in a bubble, that's... uh, you know, much more indicative of what the NFL situation is going to be like than watching the NBA and the NHL and the WNBA operating in bubbles. Yeah. Well, the daily testing has been the biggest right. reason that there hasn't been a super spreader situation. When you have daily testing, that helps prevent that. When you have the resources for daily testing, which is the okay. difference, obviously, between the NFL versus lower levels of sports. Yeah, and I think it's like, I think the, the, the one difference, Mitch, that I would say between baseball and football baseball players are going on like seven day road trips. Like, and to me that like kind of, it takes, I would say a lot more self-control to lock yourself in a hotel room for seven days than it takes for a football player to do it. And I like these, these teams aren't going places for three days. You know what I mean? Like they're flying out on Saturday afternoon in most cases, busing from the charter to the hotel going and having dinner at the hotel, having neat meetings, have curfew, wake up in the morning, go to the stadium, play the game. And then the next day, I mean, they're literally like TSA is set up at the stadium. When they walk out of the locker room, they go through TSA, they're on a bus and they're going back to their charter and they're coming home. And so I do think like football, there are far less variables with travel because of the, the duration of travel 
Um, so I do think that that's one thing that's, you know, in the NFL's favor. And like you said, like there's, I think human behavior is going to dictate a lot of this too. And, I, you know, like how is a 23-year-old going to act if his team's 0-6? You know what I mean? Like that's a, like that's a real-life variable that's going to be thrown into all of this, you know, because there are going to be teams, as Connor kind of explained with his, you know, projection, there are going to be teams that are going to be bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there are going to be teams that are going to be bad and there are going to be teams that are going to be out of it in October, November. And now all of a sudden that carrot of like competing for championships and everything else is, is gone. Maybe you're not listening quite as much. So human behavior is definitely a huge factor in all of this, as is the conditions in the country as a whole. Yeah. All right. We are running a little bit long today. But before we wrap up, does anyone want to play host real fast and ask me a couple questions about my story instead of me just awkwardly uh, just launching right in and telling you about it? Anyone want to team me up with a question? Hey, Mitch, tell us about your story. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Connor, that was great. Uh, I'm back. So, <laughs> yeah, Connor dipped out for a little bit. We weren't going to say anything, but he's, uh, he is back. It's pretty um, seamless, though. So I wrote a story today. The 2020s are here. Now that we've got football, let's talk about some some stats and some stars and all the young talent in the league. I think, you know, why would you predict who's going to lead the league in statistical categories in one season when you can predict for the entire decade? So I looked at nine different stats and tried to predict who will be the NFL leader in passing yards, passing touchdowns, rushing yards and touchdowns, receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, sacks and interceptions over the next 10 years, which was a fun exercise. Uh, I also went back and looked at the 2010s and tried to guess who we would have picked if we were playing the same game back in 2010 to see if possibly that would give me some insight into how to make a smart pick now. Um, and so that was a fun exercise. Looking back, I, I feel I'm totally caught up on the 2009 season. Uh, I can tell you everything that happened that year after studying those leaderboards uh, throughout the week. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun exercise to go through. and. I looked at the favorites. The favorites are some people you would expect, you know, Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, so all the there are so many good wide receivers in the league. Looking at even some of the young rookies, but I think some of the fun uh, stuff for me was I also looked at some dark horse candidates and tried to pick one of those for each categories. I can share with you my favorite dark horse pick. And this one, this is going to be fun if you haven't read the story yet and haven't seen it, which is possible because it just went up this morning. Uh, it is possible that Lamar Jackson could lead the league in rushing yards over the next decade, which is very fun to think about. Because, oh, because, run, because running backs, right? Yeah, like, running, have... running backs have a very short shelf life. So I looked at the 2010s. There were basically four guys who played the whole decade as lead backs. They were Adrian Peterson, LaShawn McCoy, Frank Gore, and Marshawn Lynch, although he retired twice in between and came back. Um, so, you know, you're trying to project who are the young backs who are still going to be in the league, and a lot of them could be out. Lamar was 22 last year. So, you know, when he's 32, you'd expect he's still going to be an NFL starter. He was sixth in the league in rushing yards last year with 1,200 and change. And so if he gives us, like, three or four more seasons between 1,000 and 1,200, even if in 2029 he's 32 and he has a season with like 4,000 passing yards and 600 rushing yards, you know, if guys like Joe Mixon and Dalvin Cook and Josh Jacobs aren't even in the league anymore, that could be a, a huge leg up for him. Uh, it, it's not impossible. It, it's funny to think about, but it would be really cool if Lamar Jackson led the league in rushing over an entire decade. Did you have like a 
like a Jamar Chase or a Trevor Lawrence or someone like that in the mix? I haven't yeah. looked at it yet. Yeah, Jamar Chase was my dark horse for receiving yards. Um, and that was another one where Larry Fitzgerald was awesome this decade, but a lot of the leaders for the 2010s are guys who did not join the league until uh, in the middle of the decade. Like the 11 Deion. draft would have been huge for that, right? Yeah, well, like and with... Antonio Brown was, I think, 2010, but his rookie year he was mostly a punt returner. DeAndre Hopkins came in later. Julio Jones and A.J. Green, uh, were they 2010 or 11. 2011? They were 11, because that 11 yeah. draft had those two and J.J. Watt and Tyron Smith. That's the and so And so part more. of that is, like, those guys are just, they, they could be outliers because they're awesome. But it's also true that the league gets more and more pass-happy every year. And so it's possible that it's going to be an even even more of a passing environment five, eight years from now. And so it's tempting to look at some of the, you know, Michael Thomas, uh, some of the guys who are 25, 26 now. But it just makes sense that some of the players who are like 22, 23, 24, even the rookies, that they could be putting up insane numbers, uh, you know, eight to 10 years from now. And so, yeah, you've got to consider I had C.D. Lamb as my pick for receptions. Um, and then I had Jamar Chase as my uh, dark horse for receiving yards. I talked about other guys. I had A.J. Brown in there um, for one of them. Now the categories are blending together a little bit. I think A.J. Brown was my uh, receive, my receiving touchdowns uh, pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so it's fun. And then the same thing with um, sacks and interceptions where, like, Von Miller led the 2010s. He right. was a – uh, college junior in uh, 2009 and then went back for his senior year, got to the NFL in 2011. So I, I picked uh, Nick Bosa, the younger one, uh, partly because of his youth, because it's hard for older guys. So it was a, a fun little exercise. I, you know, I'm not going to rattle off every single one, uh, especially with our podcast running a bit long, but people can go check it out because I had some fun. And uh, the nice thing is I'm not going to be wrong for a very long time. So if anyone has complaints, <laughs> you can, I've said on Twitter and I said in the story, you can hold them for 2029 or 2030. You can let me know about it then because I can just say, yeah, I got time. Give, give it a chance. Uh, my guy still might come through. We get, some, Mar- we get, we get, some, we get some Arch Manning love. Oh, I, you no, know what? Oh, God. Let's just end this podcast. <laughs> what Christ. I, I could have done that. I no. knew that. I knew that it's was time. <laughs> it's, first... It was running long, and it's time It's time to end The first two the tweets from people were actually uh, people telling me that I shouldn't be discounting Tom Brady so quickly and that uh, they're expecting 10 more years out of him. I, I, and I didn't even make that joke in the piece. I don't, even, I don't think he was mentioned once. I'll, I'll give you a fun one that you can kind of file away for 2030. There's a so I was doing my podcast a couple of weeks ago with Jordan Palmer, and he was talking about who he sees as the next Joe Burrow. And there's this kid JT Daniels at Georgia, and he was like, and he's going to be throwing to Calvin Johnson. I'm like, what are you talking about, Calvin Johnson? So there's a there's a receiver at Georgia named George Pickens, who was great as a freshman last year, and Jordan Palmer swore to me, this is Calvin Johnson. So. File that name away, Mitch. George Pickens from Georgia. George Pickens from Georgia. That seems right. easy to there remember. That's helpful. There you go. I only have to remember two in Arch, things. In Arch Manning, but we don't know where he's going to school yet. Yeah. He's a little young, I think. <laughs> All right. That's an appropriate uh, note to end on. Yes. Connor, Connor already left once. He's, he's ready to leave a <laughs> yeah. second time. Uh, I had Marshawn an excuse the first time, but this time I think I'm just going to walk off. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As usual, make sure you subscribe to the MMQB NFL podcast. The season is here, and we've got awesome stuff. We've got shows on that feed five days a week. 
Uh, you get Albert, you get Andy and Gary, you get Connor and Jenny on the weak side. So uh, make sure you subscribe. Check out the MMQB on the site for all of our stories, everything. Next week is a big week on the site. We're going to have all of our season predictions, our preseason power rankings, our bold predictions. We're going to give you all our award winners and Super Bowl picks. So make sure you check it out so that, again, you can uh, tell us how wrong we are uh, when that's inevitable. Although maybe someone will get it right this year. We'll see. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll uh, we'll do this again next week. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a green tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.